0: Would you bow your heads in prayer? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we we come into your presence today. We come with all the things that are going on in our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in your word and that you would give us hearts and ears open to you. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever apologized for something that wasn't your fault? Yep. Maybe, maybe done it because you just wanted to be kind of the, the hero. I guess Jerry hadn't done it. <laughs> but, but most of us have, Jerry, sorry. <laughs> just because you wanted to kind of save the situation, so you said whatever needed to be saved, to be said. Have you ever walked into a room and you could feel the tension and you wondered, why are they all mad at me? Even when you don't know if that's what's happened. Or maybe, maybe you had somebody, the boss or, or your wife or somebody else say, we need to talk. And then you say to yourself, what? Why? What did I do wrong now? Right, I called my sister the other day, I was looking for her, and she said, got on the phone, and the first thing she said, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I thought, we don't even live near each other, how could you do anything wrong? Any of you ever pouted to get your own way? How about this? And then this is true confession time. Any of you ever walked into a room, and without asking anybody if they wanted to watch what you want to watch, just got up and turned the channel. Oh yeah, this I got some true confession going here. It's amazing how we can make life all about ourselves. You know, the disciples do it in today's gospel reading. You know that, don't they? They get up there, the three of them, they see Jesus and his glory and Moses and Elijah, and they forget about everybody else. Let's just stay here. We'll build three tents. We don't have to go down to those other guys. I remember when I was pastor in Texarkana, I was concerned about how the congregation might be reacting to something, and I, I don't remember what it was, and I asked the elders what they had been hearing, and, and one of the elders had the perfect response. He said, Pastor Braun, people don't think about you near as often as you think they do. In other words, Pastor, it's not all about you. As we come to the end of our series on life and ministry at the crossroads, that's an important lesson for us to understand about our role at the crossroads. It's not all about you. And it's not. All about me. So, we're going we're to look today at two short texts, one from 1 Corinthians 4 and the other from 2 Corinthians 4, that, that use two words to describe our role at the crossroads the word steward and the word servant. And these two words drive home the point. It's not all about you. And it's not all about me. Now, what does Paul mean? I mean, this first passage, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, he says, he uh, he uses both words. He says, this is how we should regard, one should regard us as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now I know what happens when you hear the word steward. Oh, a sermon about money, about giving. Wish I'd slept in. Yeah, you're laughing because you know it's true. Folks, the word, yeah, it has to do with our giving, the word steward, but it's, don't do that. It's a much deeper word. A steward is someone who manages something that belongs to something else. Your lawn service is the steward of your lawn. The manager who runs this Kroger over here, he is the steward of that store on behalf of the owners. So what does Paul mean when he calls us stewards of the mysteries of God? Well, folks, it's a great word, and it means a number of things, but the word steward, first of all, means you and I aren't the owners. We own nothing. Nothing. God owns everything. You know, we like we like, don't we? To to say, well, I don't own my house. The bank owns my house. We don't know the truth. Even if your house is paid off, you don't own it. I can prove it. When you die, you can't take it with you. Somebody else is going to start paying for that house all over again, or tear it down and build a new one. When we when we get caught up in this ire of idea of, I almost sound a very southern idea, idea of ownership, you know what word? Comes into our vocabulary? The word mine. And when we start thinking of stuff as mine, my house, my clothing, my church, we get selfish and we start to hoard and we start to worry about things. When we think we own things, you know what really happens? Those things begin to own us. Now the idea that we are not owners, that means that in every decision, what you're going to wear, how you're going to exercise to take care of your body, what you're going to do that day at work, how are you going to use your time? Yes, also what you're going to give to the church. All of that comes down to one question. Not what do I want. But what does the owner want me to do with this? How does God want me to use all the things that he has entrusted to me? That's stewardship. It's not about what we want. It's not about worrying. It's not about hoarding things. It's about the fact that as a steward, we are called to manage all of life and all of life's resources in accordance with God's will. Because He's the owner. Second thing, and that, a steward means that we live off of the generosity and charity of God. You know, a few years ago, they had this big protest in America against the one percenters. You realize all those people that were there protesting are part of the one percent because if you're an American or if you live in the Western world, you are a part of the one percent or five percent or whatever. We have been blessed beyond compare. Here in this country you know I was thinking about this I thought about a passage in Deuteronomy it's the words that Moses spoke before they went into the promised land after they've been in the wilderness he says you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years he's telling them, don't forget how God took care of you and then he says, and he points them forward, he says, you're going to go, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. And then he goes on, and I'm I'm just taking some parts out of this, you need to go and read Deuteronomy 8 sometime. He he goes on and he talks about someday you're going to be in that land and you're going to build houses and your crops are going to be multiplied, your herds and flocks will be multiplied. And he says, beware where?" Lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to make wealth. We live off the generosity of God. Not just materially either. Let's think about the generosity of His grace. Let's think about the fact that God is so generous that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him might have everlasting life. Let's think about a Savior so generous that He laid down His life for us. A God so generous that he knew before you were ever born, or before I was ever born, all the sin, all the evil, all the wickedness that you and I would commit. And he chose to love us anyway. To adopt us as his children. Right? We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, living off the generosity of God. And that kind of brings us to the third thing the Bible wants us to know about stewardship. To be God's stewards means that our purpose at this crossroad is to share God's generosity generously with others. That's why we're here. You want to know what it means that we are stewards of God? What, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. You want to know what the mysteries of God are? mysteries of God are this book. It's baptism. It's holy communion. It's the gospel. That's why we give of our time and our talent and treasure. Yeah, folks, and we need to know this. We couldn't have the lights on. We couldn't heat the building. We couldn't keep the building up without those gifts. We couldn't pay the staff. But you know what? That's only a means to an end. There's a higher purpose for all that and all the other activities that go on around here. And that's that people would know about Jesus. That people would know about God's love. That's why we give. That's why some of you sing in the choir. Play the piano. Play the trumpet. That's why I dropped my Bible. Sorry. That's why men show up to usher. Both service. Men and women. That's why some of you go out with our evangelism team and call on visitors. That's why some of you serve As Stephen ministers, caring for those who are hurting. That's why some of you sew quilts and plan the young at heart and plan devotional studies and retreats. And so that's why some of you teach Sunday school and confirmation and Bible class. Because you want people to have what you have. A place in God's family. a mansion in heaven. You want people to know what you know, that God loves them with an everlasting love. And that's not only the reason why we do what's here, it's the reason why you raise your kids. Yeah, you're trying to get your kids ready for life in this world, but you know what? The most important thing you do as parents and grandparents is you help get your kids ready for eternity. And why do you work? Yeah, it's, it's to make a living but it's also because God has put you in that place to be His witness to those folks. That's what it means to be a steward. To share God's generosity generously with all the people that God brings into our lives. To be a steward by its very nature means, life is not all about you. It's not all about me. Now that point gets driven home with the second word, right? The word servant. It means literally it could be translated "slaves." Let's look at the passage. This is how God, how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And you could write slaves of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of of God and Second Corinthians, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, as Jesus' sake. You know what that means? The word "servant" means we are not meant to be in control. We are meant to be servants, not masters. When we try to be in control. We make a mess. Husbands and wives, what happens in marriage when one or both of you is insisting on your own way? Makes a mess, right? What happens in a church when a member says something like, well, if the church does that, not what I want, so I'm going someplace else. Or what happens when the pastor has that attitude that he can just make changes without any care for, for what the believers in that place are also saying? It brings conflict, it destroys. When we, when we try to be in control, we're playing God. And you want to know something? We can't handle his job. And it's been that way from the beginning. This is the heart of the sin in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve took that fruit because they wanted to be like God. And where did it get them? It got them cursed, thrown out of the garden, And made death the inevitable end of life. We weren't created to be in control. We were created to be servants. And that's why what Jesus did is so amazing. Because he's the only one who has the right to be in control. And he gave it up. I love the passage in Philippians 2. He, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in likeness as a man, he became obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. By his death and resurrection, Jesus paid the price. For our pride, for our arrogance, for our rebellion. Do you know what Jesus did? He gave up control. So that you and I could give up control. He came and became our servant so we could be servants. The Bible says that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so that then now we could be here and we could proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. You you, I don't know if you remember this when you were a kid, little one. I use this example often, but it just speaks to me. When my dad would want to build something, and he'd say, Wayne, come help me. Man, I couldn't wait. Mom said, hey, you want to learn to bake something? I bet you couldn't wait. He didn't stand there and grouse and complain, I don't have time for this. He didn't look at it as a burden. They were giving you a chance to do something big people do. And you know the truth of the matter is? My dad could have had a lot easier time building that shelf without me especially all the nails I bent. But he wanted me to be there to help him. That's what these words mean, that your Father in heaven has this great, eternal work that he desires to do, and he says, you can be a part of it. To be a servant and a steward is a gift. Right? These are not things we've got to do. To be a, by his grace, being servants and stewards is something we get to do. We get to sing in choir. We get to usher. We get to call on the visitors. We get to make quilts for the needy. We get to listen to people in their struggles. We get to tell people about Jesus Christ the most important thing that anybody can ever, ever hear. We get to live a life that's not all about you and all about me. We get to live a life that's lived the way it's supposed to be. A life that's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes on understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.